Take your Bibles, if you have them, and turn to Psalm 13. If you're following along online, you'll find the notes on Uversion. Actually, you'll find a link to the notes on Uversion. And uh, I hope that that will prove helpful for you. Psalm 13, thank you so much for that reading. I want to speak to you this morning on this thought, Lord of my sadness. For this month, we're just going to take a few selected psalms and talk about the Lord of our hearts, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord of my sadness this week, Lord of my anger next week, Lord of my guilt week three, Lord of my all. Today, Lord of my sadness, we live in a broken world. Even in the midst of great happiness and joyful moments, there is an undercurrent that something isn't right. And it's not just come about recently. If we talk into our bubble of materialistic numbness, we can think that everything and everybody's okay. But the truth is, it's more complicated than that. Even people that seem to have it all going on and have it made in the shade have issues. There's great sadness in the land. There's great sadness on the earth. There is great brokenness. Recent events are magnifying the sadness, but they are not the cause of the great sadness in the land. But we are saddened when our society fails regular tests of decency, as is often the case. We're saddened when friends don't seem to understand us or our sadness or our own plight, as is often the case. We are saddened by heinous acts of violence and destruction executed with malice and a forethought, as we see as regular consumption in the new stream and sadly by choice for many of us in what we call our entertainment. We're saddened by the darkness in our own hearts and minds that doesn't take long for us to spiral downward. Sometimes, like David here in Psalm 13, we can be saddened to the point of great despair. Is this you today? Maybe not. Maybe you're joyful and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to be depressed by the end of this sermon if he keeps on saying sadness. Hang with me. I believe there's encouragement even for you joy birds this morning. But it's okay to be sad. Are you a Christian struggling with sadness today? You may be a child of God, blood-washed, mercy-bought, hell-fought, true-taught, born-again Christian, and you might feel so sad that you're not sure what to do next. And I'm here to tell you, that's okay. That's okay. Are you sad and without a Savior? Maybe you're mostly comfortable in church and around church people. That's one thing. But you've not fully surrendered to the claims or the lordship of Jesus Christ. You're not yet under the authority of God's word. There's, there's actually encouragement for you today, friend, on the outskirts. There's an encouragement for the child of God as we walk with David this morning through great sorrow. And if you're not yet a child of God, my prayer is this, that you won't settle for the fleeting hope and joy that this world has to offer but that you will see clearly the one who himself is hope, Christ Jesus the Lord. 
If we look at our text this morning, if you're scribbling notes in your Bible, well, don't scribble, write them neatly, right? But if you're taking notes in the Bible, I would write, uh, I don't know how yours are grouped, but in the ESV, those verses are grouped in groups of twos. Do you see it? The first two verses are together, and then the second two verses, and the third two. Beside the first two, verses one and two, I would write somewhere out there, despair. We're going to talk about David's despair in verses one and two. Then we're going to look at David's demands. That's the second heading, demands. It was pretty audacious the way he spoke to God there. David's demands. And then lastly, the fact that he is drawn, D-R-A-W-N. You're from the South, drawn. But that he's drawn to the Father. Let's look at the lament, the complaint, David's despair. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? There are four how longs here, and it's a downward spiral if you see it. One commentator, very coldly, I thought, asserted kind of academically, this is a series of rhetorical questions designed to motivate God to answer his prayer. That's the way I read it in my head because it ticked me off. It's more than that. David is pouring out his life here in this psalm. You can hear the agony. It's hard to read this and almost not weep with him. I have wept with David this week as I've meditated on this psalm. There is pain and hurt and deep sorrow, and he is spiraling fast. Look at the downward spiral. Look at the text there. Watch what it says. Number one, he says that God has forgotten him. He's asking if the Lord has forgotten him. Well, now we as Bible-believing Christians know that where, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee, Lord, if I hide here, if I ascend there, if I go to the depths of hell? You'll find me. I can't escape you. That's awesome. That's good head knowledge. But have you ever been in a place where you prayed the same prayer request so many times you wondered if God had forgotten about you? David has. He says that God has forgotten him. And then I think the second one is worse. That God has rejected him. He's hidden his face from him. I love my kids. I love goofing off with my kids and doing fun things with my children and I have been known to cross the line occasionally. Well, occasionally meaning several times an hour in irritating my children. I try not to provoke them. That's biblical. I fail often at that too. But there are times when I will have sung the wrong lyric to one of Sissy's favorite songs for the umpteenth time and she will go and just kind of turn a little bit. Now, I know that she's playing, but can I just tell you when my baby girl turns from me a little bit like dad stop and I've deserved it actually she's been very gracious I think oh she's turned her back to me now we're playing and it's a fun little moment but it's not fun when a friend seems to drop you when you get ghosted by somebody that you need to connect with David here feels like he's been ghosted by God he's just been dropped it's not that he's forgotten him, it's that he's rejecting. Look, morbid introspection. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. I'll unpack that. I'm not going to unpack every single one of these. But he says, have I considered the counsel of my own heart? Do you see that? Taking counsel in my soul. That's morbid introspection. Where you constantly are talking to yourself with your own narrative instead of God's. And then you see the fourth downward step. He's thinking that the enemy ultimately will triumph over him. Has that been you? 
Maybe it's not you now. You got it under control. You're victorious more than a conqueror. That's awesome. But there are some people hurting, I think, in our midst, on site or online. And there's some people probably under the sound of my voice in the South End that are wrestling with deep sadness and wonder if there is a God, surely he's not listening or looking at me. I want to tell you, you're in good company. David's right here with you. How long will I hurt? How long will I weep? How long will I pray unanswered prayers? Have you forgotten me? Are you forgetting me? Will you keep on forgetting me, Lord? How long will you hide, God? How long is a familiar cry in the lamenting Psalms? My soul is greatly troubled, but you, O oh Lord, how long? It's a desperate cry, Psalm 6, for God to act. How long will you allow this suffering to continue? Can you relate? Is your needle stuck, if you're of a certain generation? Is your playlist on auto-repeat for the rest of the folk? Are you repeating the track instead of the playlist? How long? Is your suffering, your trial, your tribulation seem to be the never-ending mantra of your life? Look at the phrase here, take counsel in my heart. Can I just unpack that a little bit for you? The Hebrew text means to hold counsel. But according to some scholars, this text can be translated, how long shall I continue devising plans in my own mind? That is, the psalmist in vain tries to think of ways to improve the situation. How long must I re nurse rebellion in my soul? Now contrast that with Joshua 1.8. You probably have it memorized. But this book of the law shall not depart from out of your mouth, but you should meditate therein day and night so you may be able to observe and to do according to all that's written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous and have good success. Joshua 1.8. So there's a rolling over in our minds of meditation that sets us up to please God versus this rolling over and over and over our own sadness, which sinks us down into the depths of despair. How long? If I can quote Sam Ganji as he speaks to Gandalf, he says, is everything sad? going to come untrue? Well, I've come with the authority of God's word more than tokens to say yes. Yes. David doesn't stay here though. He moves from his despair to some demands. Deep sadness will not sit idly by. Can I say that to you? Can you hear me? Deep sadness will not sit idly by. Elton John even knows that. When he penned the song, and it feels so good to hurt so bad and suffer just enough to sing the blues. So turn them on, turn them on, turn on those sad songs. When all hope is gone, why don't you tune in and turn them on? And I'm sorry for the earworm that I've just put in the brain of too many of you. David isn't trying to coin a top 40 here. He's singing a very raw and a very sad song here. And he makes some audacious requests. Look at what he says. Consider and answer me. This is a demand. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. God, if you don't come through, I'm going to die. My enemy's going to prevail over me. And they're going to rejoice because I'm shaking. Consider me, he's saying, look at me, answer me, O Lord my God, revive me or else I will die. Notice the Lord's patient forbearance with David's demands. 
Like a lawyer interrogating a witness, David demands an answer, for he's afraid of dying at the hands of God's mockers. This is raw, y'all. It's untidy, it's messy, it's exposed. It's not crass, it's not too familiar. It doesn't rob God of his glory, but it's still raw and messy. Can I just tell you, a vibrant, living prayer life that's praying in It's not always uh, neat, liturgical recitings. I'm not here to bash those at all. I love it. In fact, sometimes you would do well to read some wonderful historical prayers of the church. They will give voice to some deep longings and sadness in your own life. 5% of the content of the Psalms can be classified as lament. I'm not saying they're Psalms of lament, but even within the Psalms and within the songs, lament is the language of the Psalms. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be deeply troubled. It's okay to express that sadness to the Father. He can handle it. Don't hold back. He knows already. He wants you to be open and honest with Him. We probably sing too many happy songs at church. It's largely due to our bent toward triumphalism in the West. We want to overcome and be on top of everything, and that's how we show we're doing a great job. But Walter Brueggemann writes in it, The Spirituality of the Psalms. Hear this. Let me read this quote. It's really good. It's my judgment that this action of the church is less a defiance guided by faith and founded in the good news and much more a frightened, numb, denial, and deception that does not want to acknowledge the disorientation of life. The reason for such relentless affirmation of orientation seems to come not from faith, but from the wishful optimism of our culture. Such a denial and cover-up, which I take to be, is an odd inclination for passionate Bible users, given the large number of songs of lament. At least it's clear that a church that goes on singing happy songs in the face of a raw reality is doing something very different than the Bible does itself. It's okay to be sad. The beauty of the Psalms is God gives us lanes in the Psalms and lamentations all throughout the Bible. We get lanes that we can run in with our sadness. We get language to complain to God. Have you ever heard some of the old adages that said, it's all right to God, ask God why, because Jesus did on the cross, but you shouldn't complain about it. You got to delete a lot of the Psalms if that's the narrative that has to hold. Talk to the Father. He knows. He wants to hear you say it. We don't have a high priest that's unable to sympathize with our weakness. I want you to notice, though, as we finish here, David doesn't stay there. C.S. Lewis writes in The Great Divorce, Some mortals say of this temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. Can I remind you that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even your deep sadness into a glory? The final text here, look at these last two verses here. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice, verse 5, in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, Lord of my sadness, because he has dealt bountifully with me.
Only a good heavenly father would allow his suffering children to complain in order to draw us to himself. By the end of the prayer, we see the father's strategy is working. If I were to give you a little note, a nugget to write down, this is a great reminder. In the midst of the unknowns, David tethers to what he knows. He doesn't know when the answer's coming. He doesn't know when he's going to be delivered. But look what lights him up at the end. I have trusted. Being drawn to the Father's knee, David remembers that God's love is steadfast. If you write in the margin of your Bible, write Exodus 34, 6 and 7. It's where the Lord speaks of his steadfast love. David is so confident in the goodness of God that he begins to sing before deliverance has come. He focuses on God's hesed, his steadfast love. Now, I want you to understand this. I want you to take a moment. I don't want to get hokey or too weird or anything like that. But take a moment in the Bible, on the app, however you're watching. And I want you to look at verse 5 again. Take a moment and read it to yourself in your mind. Read every word. Take it slowly. I'll give you a moment. Think about where David is in the timeline of events. David only has a concept of God's hesed, his steadfast love, abstractly. He only knows this love through Israel's historical events and through sparse moments in his own life. He doesn't have the cross or the resurrection, and it's enough for him to tether himself to God in the midst of deep, life-threatening sadness. Oh, church, we see that the hesed of God, that steadfast love of God, hung, bled, and died on a torturous Roman cross, bearing our sin and our shame. Jonathan Stockstall would write a beautiful song that gets stuck in my mind so often called Unfailing Love. It's about the hesed. I see you hanging there. I see your nail-pierced hands for me. You paid the price for me. I see your wounded side. I hear your lonely cries. You paid the price for me. It was unfailing love. Grace by your blood. Come and pour over me till all I see is your unfailing love. In deep sadness, brother or sister, I'm here to tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ is fully capable of sitting on the throne of your sadness too. Focus on his love. Trust in his has said his steadfast love that little phrase shows up over and over in the jesus storybook bible for children and here's the way they render it jesus was showing his people that god's love looked like this his wonderful never stopping never giving up unbreaking always and forever love i love it wonderful never stopping never giving up unbreaking always and forever love trust in the love of god sing when you don't feel like singing. We don't sing because things are going well. We don't sing because it's our favorite song. We don't sing because we have trusted uh, in the plight of man or the order of worship. We sing because we trusted in him. Because we know this great God and King, the maker of heaven and earth, the one in whom there is no shadow of turning. He is also a savior and a rescuer. I'm speaking today to a people who need saving or who have been saved by this great rescuer. 
We're a people who need saving. All of humanity, like the children's songs, we're all precious in His sight. We all need a Savior. Let me touch that rather quickly for us. I can't leave it undone. The Bible teaches us and the gospel shows us clearly that we have rebelled against God directly. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have rebelled against God directly. The gospel shows us that God's solution for all of humanity is Christ's sacrificial death and resurrection. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, Romans 3. Romans 3 again, we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. And it shows God's righteousness. So we've all rebelled. Christ is the only hope we have. And then the Bible shows us how we can partake of that hope. It's for all who believe, for there's no distinction, the Bible says. There's no discrimination, no prejudice at the foot of the cross. The answer is to repent and believe, Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. For by grace you've been saved once you step across through faith. It's not of yourselves, not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. You don't get a balance at the end of this to see if your good outweighs your bad. Nobody's editing or looking and trying to balance your hashtags or your social media discord to see which side you're on. Nobody cares about your posture. When you get to heaven, on what basis should God allow you in? I'm here to tell you the only basis, according to the authority of God's word, is by the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ who was slain on a cross but freely gave up his life for us was dead, buried, and resurrected on the third day just like God said it would happen and is interceding for us by our Father making intercession for us. Jesus cares. He knows every thought you've ever done, every deed you've ever committed and he still loves you and is calling you, not asking you. He is commanding that all people everywhere repent put their faith and trust in him and if you feel an overwhelming sense to deal with that here's what i've come to tell you that's not even you that's not the weight of your guilt the weight of your guilt will cause you to spiral like david did no 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 that's the work of the spirit pointing you to the steadfast love of god just like we can't trust in ourselves for our own salvation You can't trust in yourselves and listen to your own heart, which Jeremiah says is deceitful and wicked above all things, to get yourself out of your sadness. Stop running that internal narrative and dialogue over and over and over again. Left alone without God's help, what can a man do but think and think and plan and plan and scheme to weariness all night and carry a heavy load? But the sad minor of the way this psalm starts is not the major chord that it ends in. It's coming from faithful lips. When we ask how long, it passes into a jubilant key as we focus on God and know that we'll rejoice in His salvation and sing because He is a good, good God. Are you in the grips of sadness today? Heavy laden neath a load of care? Cry out to God and be honest.
Use God's word as a guide to keep you in the lanes so you know how to cry out to God with rawness. Trust God. Hope in God. Sing, whether you can carry a tune in a bucket or not. Hum, grunt, make a joyful noise. If it's got to be in the car with the windows up for the sake of society, that's fine. But sing to the Lord. Some of us can use this psalm to guide us in our sadness, but some of us need to go to Psalm 51. I said there's hope for you if you are outside of the faith. You don't know the Lord personally as your Lord and Savior. I would point you, I won't read it for time, but to make a mark in your Bible to Psalm 51, make that your prayer. Respond to God's command to you to repent and trust Him. He can and will be the Lord of your sadness, but first, but first, you need to know Him as Savior and King. If you're gathered here outside today with us, thank you so much for being here. For those of you uh, that are watching online, we've got thousands. I'm just kidding. I'm making that. We've got a great crowd on site and online today. I want to point you to a couple of friends. I didn't brief them beforehand, but I know them well enough to know. Putting them on the spot's okay. If you need somebody to pray with you so that you can meet Jesus as King and Savior, I'm going to put just a few people on the spot. Christy, would you raise your hand? If you're a lady and need somebody to pray with, there's Christy. Uh, Pastor Norm, would you raise your hand? Norm's right there. Mark, on this side, Mark's right there. Our deacons in the back, Craig, Zach. Carl, any of the elders, Jeremy, thank you. The umbrella was hiding you, brother. Jeremy, Scott, there's some folks here who are itching to introduce you to Jesus. For those of you watching the stream, there's a link in the sermon notes tab entitled The Gospel. What is the gospel? Click that. There's a way you can contact us. We'd love to personally follow up. I don't want it to be just clicks, but we'd love to personally follow up with you. Can we close in prayer? Lord, for those who feel like God has abandoned them, there's no way of knowing when the winds and waves and the darkness of this sadness will finally lift. But your word reminds us that the believer is never alone. History shows us that we're walking in the same paths of many great women and men of God. The Lord Jesus Christ was the only one truly forsaken. And he was forsaken while he was on the cross by the Father as he bore our sin and shame. Lord, remind us to call out to you in prayer even when you seem far away. At some point, the clouds will lift, the light will shine, and we'll discover that you have been right there with us in the midst of our sadness. Lord, we put our hope in you. We trust you. Your promises are true. Your word is sure. You alone can save us. Be the Lord of our sadness in these days. And the church said, amen.